Please listen to this portion of God's word coming from the book of Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not of flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil within the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you can take your stand. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up your shield of faith, which can extinguish all of the flaming arrows from the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always pray for the Lord's people. The word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Gregory. Appreciate you. Um, If you've been with us um, for the last three months, a little more than three months now, you know that we've been in this series called Who Am I? And uh, this is actually the very last installment of that series. It's been a long series for some of you, uh, but we've learned a lot about who we are, uh, both individually and as the church. And uh, for this last installment, what I, what I really want to do is focus on what it takes for us to be victorious, victorious. It's actually a message on spiritual warfare. And... Um, when we think about spiritual warfare and uh, what it is, um, I think it's important for us to, to know three things that will enable us to take our stand uh, against the devil's schemes. And that is, what is spiritual warfare exactly? Um, where does it come from? And what are we to do about it? What are we to do about it? And I, I think this is a very timely message Uh, because I believe our church uh, has been under uh, spiritual attack for for some time now. Uh, Some of you have felt it more than others, but what I've come to learn is that Satan is very real, and he's always uh, wanting to divide and conquer, to destroy, to deceive, and uh, I, I know that he wants more than anything to destroy this church. And to bring all of you down in the process. And he's very good at what he does. He's very good at what he does. Uh, But here's the thing. If you know who your enemy is, and you know who you are in Christ, and you take advantage of the resources that have been made available to you, uh, you can stand against the devil's schemes. You can take your stand But if you don't recognize who your enemy is, and if you are not confident in who you are in Christ, 
and you do not utilize or tap into the resources that God has given you, you will not be able to take your stand, and you will be more like sitting ducks in the midst of a war. Okay? So this is a very important message. And so I want to start by uh, sharing a, a story about my life, about something that happened to me several years ago. I was living in Washington State, and I was working for Young Life at the time. Young Life is a, a ministry that, that focuses on uh, high school students for the most part. It's very incarnational in nature, which means you go out and you meet the kids where they're at. You speak into their lives, and you, and you try and uh, bring them to a place where they start to question the, the things uh, of God, and, and hopefully, you know, the Holy Spirit will uh, reveal himself to these kids. And it's amazing uh, the life and the fruit that comes from, from that. So it was an exciting season in my life. And because I was new to the ministry and, and kind of brash and excited about doing something uh, uh, in boldness, uh, six of my friends and I uh, decided to get a house uh, in the worst part of our town. Now, our town, uh, like most towns, had sections where you wouldn't want to be. Uh, dangerous sections. In fact, our little small town uh, was actually rated um, the highest in, in, in regard to uh, shootings and uh, uh, violent crime per capita in the entire country for a season. Uh, there was a lot of gang activity, uh, and there was a lot of uh, stuff going on that was just, well, nobody knew what to do about it. And so my friends and I said, we need to be a light shining in the darkness, and so we rented this house in the very worst part of this town. And um, what was interesting about living there is, you know, uh, there were prostitutes hanging out right on the edge of our street. There were drug deals going down that we could see. Uh, at night, I, a lot of times you could hear the sound of gunfire and uh, yelling and screaming from, from neighbors and fighting and whatnot. Our house was broken into multiple times, so we couldn't keep anything of value there. Our cars were broken into. Uh, but in the midst of that, my friends and I would sit on our front porch and we would look for opportunities to engage in conversation with people in that neighborhood. And little by little, we started to see things happen. Some of the prostitutes would actually come to our house and sit on our steps and talk with us. And I remember one of them by the name of Rosie told me that she had never been treated with such dignity in her entire life. And... In the midst of that, um, I think we were kind of naive to what we were setting, our, our, setting ourselves up for. Because, you know, if you step out in faith and you do something uh, for the kingdom, you should expect spiritual warfare. You should expect things to happen. Now, I remember one night, uh, I went to bed, just like any other night, and as I was Sleeping in my bed, a demon grabbed me by the ankles and started whipping me around the room like a rag doll. I remember whipping around the room like a ceiling fan. And I remember being absolutely terrified. But as I was being whipped around, I 
remembered who I was in Christ and the authority that I had, even in a circumstance like that. And so I said, release me in the name of Jesus. And instantly, I was back in my bed with the covers over me, and it was completely silent. There was nothing in my room. And I remember laying there for a few minutes thinking, that was the craziest dream I have ever had in my life. That was so incredibly real, I, I just can't believe it. And so I prayed, and then I went back to sleep. The following morning, I woke up, and I thought, that dream was incredibly intense. I prayed again, and then I went downstairs to the kitchen, and I started making breakfast for myself. And as I was making breakfast, one of my roommates, also in the house, came walking into the kitchen, and he said, dude, you're never going to believe this, but I had the craziest dream last night. I had a dream that a demon grabbed me and started whipping me around the room. Suddenly, I realized that what I had was not a dream, but it was something real, uh, something unexpected, something that was from another realm. Now, all of us uh, know and understand the physical realm. We can see it. We can touch it. We can hear it. We can taste it. But many of us don't realize that there is an even more real realm called the spirit realm. It is more real than the things that are tangible, the things that we can touch. Because the physical realm is temporary. It's temporary. Everything that we experience in our lives using our five senses will one day pass away. But the spirit realm will live on forever. We have physical bodies that are temporary. Temporary. They are passing away. In fact, I remember sitting in Dallas Willard's class a few years back, and he said, this is how he described them. He said, your body is like a container for the true you. And then he asked us, he said, if you lost your arm, would you still be you? What if you lost your leg or both legs and your arms? Would you still be you? And he went on and on until there was nothing left. And we still had to answer, yes, the true you has nothing to do with the flesh. The true you is not physical, but spiritual. And that spiritual soul of ours is going to live on forever. Now, the Bible talks about angels who serve God. They are his messengers, and they are his warriors, and they act on his behalf. And in the book of Revelation, we read that there was a war in heaven where a third of the angels fell from heaven because Satan's pride got the best of him. A third of the angels joined him in that rebellion, and they were ultimately expelled from heaven. Now, those fallen angels are now considered demons, and those demons have been at war with God ever since. And frequently, whether we realize it or not, we get caught in the middle. We get caught in the middle. We can't experience the spiritual realm with our five senses, but that does not mean that it is not real. Never underestimate the spirit realm. 
Now, the Apostle Paul contrasts the physical realm with the spiritual realm in Ephesians 6, in the passage that Gregory read for us today. And when he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of the evil in heavenly realms, what he's talking about is our battle is not against our brothers and sisters or anyone else that we might deem our enemy on this earth. Our battle is only, only against the devil himself. Only. Now, coming from Washington State, let me illustrate this. I knew as a child that the Seahawks were the best football team ever. But there was a problem with that notion. The Seahawks always lost. And for about 30 years, being a Seahawks fan was about the equivalent of being a Knicks fan today. And they were just simply notorious for losing games. Even if they were 21 points ahead in the fourth quarter, you could almost guarantee that they would do something that would enable them to lose the game. Now, when I was about seven years old, I had a very close relationship with my father. I I trusted him with everything in me. And I remember one day I went to my dad and I said, Dad, you know, the Seahawks are playing tonight. Do you think they're going to win? And he said with all authority that he could muster, yes, son, tonight the Seahawks are going to win. And I said, thanks, Dad. And so I went out and I found uh, one of my older brother's friends. His name was Mike Vera. He was kind of the bully of our neighborhood, actually. And I bet him $100 (laughs) that the Seahawks would win. And I thought it was a sure thing because I had asked my dad. Well, the Seahawks were playing the Dallas Cowboys that night, and the Seahawks lost. Now, I was a little worried about that because um, I didn't have $100. (laughs) And I didn't want Mike to send somebody to break my legs. And so I sent my brother out to negotiate... uh, and uh, he was able to bring the price down to $1. And I, I paid Mike that $1, and it still hurt. Now, years later, years later, I was in my first year of college, and uh, one of my roommates was still an avid Seahawk fan. And uh, what was interesting about my roommate is he also had a really, really bad temper, a quick temper. And so when the Seahawks were doing poorly, I mean, it was just about all he could stand. I mean, it was like on the, he was always on the verge of going nuclear anyway. And when he was watching the Seahawks, it was, it was even worse. Now, I, I liked football, but I didn't love it. But what I really enjoyed was watching football with him. And, and I, was, I would sit there and I would watch him become increasingly angry 
as the game progressed. And during that time in the Seahawks' history, they had a quarterback by the name of Dave Craig. Some of you, if you're old enough, you might remember. And one of Dave's uh, fatal flaws was that he had very small hands, even smaller than Donald Trump's. And uh, the problem with having small hands when you're the quarterback is you frequently fumble the ball. And so what I would do, and this, I did this just for fun, I would sit there in the living room and I would watch the TV and I would watch my friend Greg. And every time Dave Craig fumbled the football, I would say, whoopee. <laughs> and after about six whoopies, uh, Greg would just explode in rage. He would start knocking furniture over. And I actually, I remember one time he actually kicked in the TV. And uh, I found that to be much more interesting than football, just, just experiencing that. And the reason I tell you that story is my roommate never realized that I was inciting a lot of that anger through my whoopies. So he was channeling his anger towards something, and he didn't even know what the source of the anger was. I tell you that because the enemy frequently does the same thing. Working behind the scenes, causing things to happen around you. And if you're not really savvy or discerning, you will focus your attention on the wrong thing or even on the wrong person. When someone takes advantage of us or mistreats us or betrays us, our tendency is to see that person as the enemy, right? But that's not the enemy. Our enemy is never a person. It's the devil himself. And behind the scenes, demons are seeking to destroy your relationship with God, to put a wedge between you and the people that you love, and ultimately to thwart God's will and undermine anything that God cares about. He pits husband against wife, brother against sister, neighbor against neighbor. And, of course, he's working double time in this church. Did you know that Satan's name is adversary in the Hebrew? Adversary. And we find that word used 18 times in the Old Testament and 34 times in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Okay? So if the battle we are facing is spiritual and not physical, what are we supposed to do about it? How do we protect ourselves? Well, if we want to be victorious... The first thing that we need to do is to acknowledge the reality of the spirit realm. We need to know who our enemy is, and a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't. Did you know that in a recent Barna study, four out of ten Christians, that's 40%, strongly agreed that Satan is not a living being, but more a symbol of evil? 
That's four out of ten. Another 20% said they had considerable doubts that Satan was real. How can we take our stand against an enemy that we don't even believe exists? We cannot. And friends, I'm telling you that Satan is real. He is real. He's mentioned 29 times in the Gospels, and 25 of those times he is mentioned by Jesus himself. And I think we would all agree that Jesus knew what he was talking about. You might say, well, yes, I believe that, you know, he's real, but, you know, that was back then. I mean, in Jesus' day, you know, a lot of things have changed, and, you know, I I don't think the devil is still active in the same way that he was then. Now, earlier, you heard uh, from Nathan and Abby about some of the things that were happening down at GBCM. And, uh, you know, when I was there just this past summer, I remember an experience where Annie and I were walking. We were walking toward the worship center on their compound. You know, and it's a big compound, and so it's kind of a little, way, a little ways. And as we were getting closer to the compound, we heard this shrieking and yelling, shrieking and yelling. And, and it, was, it was disturbing and loud enough that Annie turned to me and she said, what do you think is happening up there? And, you know, I knew that, you know, the Haitian culture, you know, the pastors typically yell when they preach. You know, so I just, I kind of assumed that that was what was happening. But just to be funny, I said, well, you know, Annie, they're probably casting a demon out of someone. And she said, really? And I laughed and I said, oh, I don't know. You know, who knows? And then we got there, we got to the facility, and Eves, the director of the orphanage, came out with a woman and he said, James, James, I want to introduce you to this woman. We just cast a demon out of her, and now she is in her right mind and doing well. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, I can't believe this. And I talked with her for a while, and she told me the history of how she had become demonized and, and how now she was delivered. Pretty amazing, you know, because that was just a few months ago. Two weeks ago, just two weeks ago, I was upstairs above my old office, and I was with the prayer team here at Trinity, and we were praying for a family who had reached out to us because they said they felt that they were being oppressed by demons. And so they found us online, and they came here to receive prayer, and we prayed with them. And as we were praying for them, a demon started to manifest in their son. And this boy was writhing around on the floor as we were praying for him and attempting to cast this demon down. And at that same time, Mike Little, who has been working as one of our custodians, came up to the room and he looked through the window because I think he could hear all the noise downstairs and he was wondering what was happening. He looked through the window and just turned around and went right back downstairs again. After the session was over, I walked downstairs and into the office and Mike said, James, what was going on up there? And I said, well, we were attempting to cast a demon out of someone. And he said, that's real? That's real? 
And you see, we can be part of the church. We can be believers. We can be saved. We can hear these passages, and yet there's something in us that really doesn't believe that this stuff really happens here and now. You see, we don't see many demonic manifestations in our culture because the devil gets a whole lot more mileage out of convincing us that he doesn't exist than by revealing himself. Do you understand how that tactic would be effective? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing people that he doesn't exist. So after Paul reminds us who our enemy is and who we are in Christ, he tells us about the resources that God has given us that will enable us to be victorious when we are facing a spiritual attack. And I want to talk about them. In Ephesians 6, 10, and 11, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor of God. Now, anyone that knows that they are going into battle understands that it's important that we prepare ourselves ahead of time. You don't show up at a battle and then put your armor on. You put your armor on and then you go into battle. If you wait until you're in the middle of the battle, it's too late. Okay? So Paul is telling us to get ready and stay ready. And he's also telling us in this passage that we need to be ready not just for ourselves, but to support our brothers and sisters who may find themselves under attack. Because if you are not currently under attack, just be patient. It's going to come. All of us, if we are doing things for the kingdom, are going to find ourselves under attack. And the more you do for God, and the deeper you go in your relationship with God, the more you will be attacked. I'm just telling you now, that's the way it works. So Paul uses the analogy of a Roman soldier who is fully equipped and armed to describe the resources that have been given to us. Now, similar to the Roman soldier, we have what is called the full armor of God. So that we can protect ourselves in a spiritual battle. Not a physical battle, but a spiritual battle. Now, if you are living for God, as I said, you should expect that you're going to be engaging in spiritual warfare. Now, notice how Paul begins in verse 14. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth. What is that all about? What is the belt of truth? Well, a Roman soldier had a belt around him to keep his tunic close to his body. And also, the belt served as a place to hang the Roman soldier's sword so that when he went into battle, he had access to a weapon that would enable him to defend himself. Now, the belt of truth speaks not only of knowledge of the truth about who we are in Christ... It's also knowing the truth of God and all of his promises because we need to know who those are or what those are in order to be victorious. Now, the verb put on, put on, is an action that we must take, applying God's truth to ourselves and replacing lies that the enemy has sent our way with the truth of God. We need to put on The armor of God, which means it may be available to us, but we don't necessarily have to put it on. That's on us. We have to decide to put it on if it's going to be effective. 
okay? So how does this play out? Well, there are a lot of people who have trusted Jesus as their Savior. A lot of people. But they have never fully committed to living a godly life. And when that happens, um, we are not in tune with the Holy Spirit, and therefore, we lack discernment. And if we're lacking discernment and we are not in tune with the Spirit of God, we are powerless against a spiritual attack. You see, when people operate with one foot with God and the other foot in the world, they are setting themselves up for failure. They are living in a very dangerous place. And this can even happen to leaders in a church. If you're living in sin, what will happen is you will end up doing the work of Satan and you will do it in the name of Jesus. I've been there. I have done that. And then you look back in hindsight and you realize how deceived you were in that instance or that instance or that instance. And in the, in the moment, you thought you were doing the work of God. Because Satan is that good. So we need to choose to walk obediently before God at all times, at all times, so that he cannot deceive us. So that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Now next, Paul tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. What is that? Well, the breastplate protects us. It protects our vital organs, it protects our heart, it protects our lungs, it protects our stomach, it protects our intestines. It's the modern equivalent of a bulletproof vest. If you were going into a war zone, you would put on a bulletproof vest. And in Psalm 139, 23 through 24, it says, Search me, God, and know my heart, test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. This is a prayer from David. And what he's revealing to the Lord or asking of the Lord is to help him align his heart with the heart of God. No one would pray a prayer like that unless they were being prompted by the Holy Spirit. So David is allowing God to get his heart and vital functions realigned with God's eternal ways so that he can operate not in his own strength or in conventional wisdom, but in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Now next, our feet should be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The gospel, as you know, is the good news. Gospel means good news. It's the good news of Jesus that we have been uh, assigned to bring to a world that is dying, a lost and dying world. And if we are not walking in peace or spreading the good news of Jesus, the enemy is somehow limiting us. So think about your life for a moment and ask yourself, am I sharing the good news? Can I think of specific examples where I am sharing the good news of Jesus? And if you can't, the enemy is limiting you. And you may not be aware of what he's doing or how he's limiting you, but he is limiting you. Next, it says we need to put on the shield of faith. 
with which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. How awesome is that? When was the last time you extinguished a flaming arrow that was directed at you? God's word tells us that we can do just that, and he says we can do it through faith. Through faith. Now, faith, we know from scripture, is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It's knowing that if God is for us, who can be against us? We need to know that when we walk into a minefield. We need to know that when we walk into a battle. And next, it says, the helmet of salvation, our assurance of salvation. Why is that so important? Well, the helmet of salvation provides us with a sense of hope. It reassures us of who we are, our position in Christ, which is a joyful and confident expectation that God will keep his promises to you and me. He is a faithful God that keeps his promises. And a person who does not have hope is a person who is vulnerable to the lies of the enemy. Okay? So we need to maintain our hope, our faith in Christ. You see, the enemy will place all sorts of crazy thoughts in our minds. And you may ask yourself, is that possible? Can the enemy actually put thoughts in our minds? Of course he can. And he's very good at doing it. But the thing is, if we know who we are, and we know who our enemy is, and we know the resources that are available to us in Christ, we can stand against those things, and we can choose not to entertain those thoughts when they enter our mind. We can take those thoughts captive. That's what the scripture says. In the name of Jesus, because we've been given assurance of our salvation and all the power that comes with it. Next, we're to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, it's important to note that all of the other pieces of armor, all the other resources that have been listed are defensive. They're defensive. But in this case, we are given a weapon that enables us to go on the offensive. We can actually use this to advance in the war, to fight back. And did you notice that whenever Jesus was in a battle with the enemy, he always used Scripture. He always quoted Scripture. And this is one of the biggest reasons why we need to be reading our Bible. We need to be memorizing Scripture. We need to be committing ourselves to it so that we have the resources that we need to fight back when we are uh, stepping into a situation where we're being lied to. We can replace those lies with truth. Now, I've learned a very powerful uh, methodology or a tool, if you will, that really works when I find myself in the midst of a spiritual battle. Now, whenever I recognize that the enemy is attacking me, the first thing I do is I rebuke him in the name of Jesus. I identify him for who he is. I rebuke him in the name of Jesus. And then I identify the lies that he has been telling me I replace those lies with the truth of God that I find in Scripture. And then I tell him, because you tried to attack me, because you tried to lie to me, because you tried to bring me down, 
I am not only going to rebuke you in the name of Jesus, but I'm going to stop what I'm doing right now. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit puts a hedge of protection around me and my family, and then I'll pray the same thing for five other people. Five other people. And I might do that three times a day. And if I'm aware and I'm discerning of who it is that's my enemy, and I'm recognizing when I'm under attack, I'm actually thwarting what Satan is trying to do, not just in my own life, but for my family and for all of those friends that I've prayed for throughout the day. That's spiritual warfare. That is taking the offense instead of turning tail and just hiding and taking it because you don't have to because of who you are and because of the resources that you've been given. We can do that because we know who our enemy is, because we know who we are in Christ, and because we're using the resources that are available to us. Now, Paul ends this message this way. He says that we should pray in the Spirit on all occasions, prayers of every kind, and requests to be alert and always pray for God's people. So what he's saying here is, listen, not only do you need to be thinking about your own situation and praying against the enemy, and engaging in spiritual warfare, you need to be thinking about all of your brothers and sisters in Christ because we are a family, and God has put us in community for a purpose, and we are supposed to protect one another. We are supposed to protect one another. Now, if we do all of these things, and we are faithful to the things that God has called us to, we will be victorious. The enemy cannot touch us. He has no authority over a believer. If we are walking in step step with the Spirit of God. Now, here's the thing. Jesus did not just die on the cross so that we could go to heaven when we die. I mean, he did that and he made that possible and that's a wonderful thing. But he also did it so that we would have power and authority in this life because he wants, to be victor- he wants us to be victorious in our daily life. We are his ambassadors. So know who your enemy is. Know who you are in Christ. And put on the full armor of God. If you do these things, you will be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. And you will always, always be victorious. Will you pray with me? Lord... Thank you so much for this word.